following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. How many of you literally remember what you were like in junior high? Anybody remember what you were like in junior high? That's probably my first awareness of existence, junior high. I remember in junior high, growing pains. Remember growing pains? Growing pains that were so painful that I wouldn't be able to get to sleep. And then when I did get to sleep, I'd be woken up by the pain of these growing pains. And then I'd go to the mirror and all of a sudden I'd be in shock because I was three inches taller. Like just that night. Crazy stuff. And my mom kept buying shoes that were two sizes too big. Did you moms ever do that? Anticipating growth, I looked like Chuck up the clown. You know, I was just, it was awful. And there was all kinds of pain in the process of just getting, you know, physically larger. And the interesting thing about it was, is that I still wanted to grow up. Even though it was painful, I still wanted to grow. Interesting enough, every Christian here, in spite of the pain, in spite of the difficulties, wants to grow as well. It's true. In fact, though we don't always act like it, the good news is if you are a genuine Christian, you will grow. That is actually a promise in Scripture. In fact, without it, you might need to question whether you are a Christian. Because growth is that certain. And the good news is that one of the changes that God brings about when we are anticipating His soon return is an accelerant to our growth in Christ. We will grow and mature. In fact, uh, it's in your outline there, this little statement. Anticipation of Christ's return results in sanctification and in exaltation. Open your Bibles for our 34th sermon on 2 Peter, that's right, and our last sermon on 2 Peter chapter 3, follow along in your outline, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3 was declaring the absolute certainty of Christ's return. Chapter 3 verses 11 through 18 then made this incredible statement that it emphasized that as you anticipate Christ's return, you are going to grow in an unusual way. You're going to be changes in your life in unusual ways. In fact, after the universe destruction of verse 10, if you look at that, Peter summarizes all of verses 11 through 18 in verse 11 with a summary statement. Look at what he says, verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Literally, Peter says to Christians, If you truly believe that Christ is returning, then how astoundingly excellent you ought to live. If you really genuinely believe that this is your last day, that he's returning today, that you're going to be raptured and it's over, you will live different. Can I hear an amen to that? You will. The phrase, what sort of people you ought to be, is actually a reminder the way it's phrased in the word choices that you're a foreigner on earth. You, as a Christian, do not belong here. You don't speak the language. You don't follow the customs. You're not trendy like the world is because this world is not your what? It's not your home. And Peter says you're to live holy, meaning unique. That means different, not odd, different. 
and godly, which is like God or like Christ and very God-pleasing. And following that verse 11 summary, verses 12 to 18 describe that unique lifestyle and the changes that God will make as you anticipate His return when you daily look for Him to return. How are you going to be different? Number one, live for eternity. You're going to live for eternity. We're going to go really quick through what we've covered already. Verse 12 and 13, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You are going to be looking. That word means you're anticipating his return, his soon return. After God destroys this existing universe, he melts everything you own, everything, He is going to rebuild this universe with a brand new heaven and a brand new earth where everything is going to be perfect. That's the day of God that he's been celebrating. Everything's going to be perfect. And when you know everything in this world, everything that you own, everything that belongs to you is going to burn and nothing will be left, well, you're going to live more for eternity than for this world. You're going to live with an eternal perspective. Ladies, the next time you're driving your husband's car and you ding it, You know, you just go, look, honey, it's going to burn. He should be fine. He should be fine. Also, number two, you're going to live with sweet internal peace. Sweet internal peace. He says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace. In the midst of a brutal, sin-saturated world, which causes most people to live in fear, beloved believers, that's you, know that when Christ returns, He will end all evil. He will terminate all injustice. He'll stop all foolishness and finish all worldly temptations so believers can live with an incredible internal peace. We know who's in charge. Can you hear an amen to that? We know what he's doing. He's banishing worry. He's destroying fear. He's removing anxiety. It doesn't matter if it's COVID persecution or earthquakes or wildfires of California. Or wondering what it's going to be like for your children. You need to know. You need to remember that you are under a loving, trusting, absolutely all-powerful, sovereign God. Amen? You are. And also, you, it will cause you to pursue number three in your outline, living for Christ like purity. And he ends verse 14 with spotless and blameless. Spotless has to do with character. Blameless has to do with your reputation. And so as you live ready for Christ's return and the judgment that you will face before Christ, you will stand before him. You will have every element of your life exposed inside and out. You're going to desire as a result to live with integrity in such a way that you'll actually live holy and righteously when no one's looking. When no one's around, because you're doing it for him, you're not doing it for anybody else. The Lord only is delaying his return for number four in your outline, and that is faithful gospel proclamation. While you long for Christ, you will not grow idle, you will not isolate yourself from non-Christians and people, but you'll pursue your spiritual responsibilities, and those are in verse 15. Take a look at verse 15. It says, and regard the patience of the Lord. Regard, why is he delaying? Why hasn't he come now? Why, why? The patience of the Lord as what? What's he say? Salvation. 
In other words, the Lord is only delaying his return in order to save the remainder of his elect, which creates for you a window of responsibility to proclaim the gospel. And that will also require, number five in your outline, living for doctrinal clarity. Living for doctrinal clarity. Verses 15 and 16, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Peter gets a second opinion from the Apostle Paul. In fact, he says, Paul and I completely agree on Christ returning physically, literally, in glory, as the judge of mankind and as the king of the world. He's going to rule this planet. This is God's inspired word given from two apostles, not just one, the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Paul. And it's given from them, not given from errant ideas of non-inspired false teachers, which, of course, forces you, number six in your outline, to live for biblical discernment. Verse 17, he says, You therefore, beloved, again, calling you beloved, remembering your position in Christ, knowing this beforehand, he says, be on your, what's that word? Guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Since Christians know that there will be false teachers who will come torturing, literally, he says here, torturing the scriptures, they should be all the more on guard. Now, there were people that Peter's writing here in these Asian churches over there in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and basically they knew the truth, they knew the word. But he says, you know what, you still need to be on guard. You see, we can sometimes forget that just knowing the truth is not enough. We need to be constantly aware, constantly on guard, knowing that you need to be alert, keeping watch like a guard does over a dangerous criminal. You know, I, I love our elders. They are amazing men of God. They're incredibly fun. They're my good, good and deep personal friends. Uh, and they are amazing guys. They're very easygoing. But you know what's interesting? If you speak heresy in their presence, as if you really mean it, something changes in their demeanor. Have you noticed that? They'll still smile. <laughs> They'll nod. <laughs> but the hair on the back of their neck will go right out. And their eyes will dilate kind of funny. And they get this intensity about them. And they start asking the John Plesnick super questions. You know? Like... So tell me a little bit more of what you're believing here because they're on guard. They're on guard. They never forget that heresy is there. They never forget that we need to be watchful about error that might undermine the gospel, that might undermine the church, that might undermine our understanding of who God is. So Peter's concern here in this verse is not that his readers would lose their salvation, but that they would slip from their confidence in the Scripture, that they would lose their confidence in the Word of God. And what is the answer to that? What is the desperately needed answer to that? That's number seven in your outline and new for today, and that is living for spiritual growth. Living for spiritual growth progressively. Look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is it that... In every church, there are those who deepen in their walk with God and others who don't seem to deepen in their walk with God. 
Why is it that some Christians seem so fruitful and spiritual and spirit-filled and godly while others are unfruitful and kind of worldly and you don't quite know where they're at? Why, why do some younger Christians grow really quickly while some older Christians don't appear to grow at all? Peter's going to answer those very questions in this singular verse. Peter began 2 Peter with a challenge to grow, to mature. He started this letter, grow up. God's put it in you to grow, you can grow. And now he ends the very last verse of 2 Peter with a challenge for you to grow, to grow. Pursuing a deepening knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ will lead to doctrinal stability. And it will prevent you from being led astray by any doctrinal error from anyone. So first in your outline is the contrast. The contrast. Look at it again, verse 18. But grow. See that first word? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But is in contrast to verse 17. Let's review verse 17. Look at it. So that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow. When Peter says, but grow, he's stating the counterbalancing positive duty here. He's saying, continue to grow spiritually is the effective safeguard living in a day that's filled with heresy. Continuing to grow. In fact, what he's saying here is falling from steadfastness meant to lose your steadiness. To lose your confidence in God's character, to lose your assurance of salvation, to lose your reliance on God's word. We've all known unsteady Christians, and probably in some of your lives, you would see yourself as there was a season where I was very unsteady. I lost my confidence in the truth or in God. And the, the believers here in Peter's churches were losing their confidence in God's word because of the manipulation of sound teaching from these false teachers. So how do you regain a steady confidence in God and His Word? Well, grow in Christ. And it's so important that Peter does something crazy. Look at secondly in your outline. He commands you to grow. When he says, but grow, he's commanding you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He commands it. These believers, man, they're persecuted. These believers are, are battling against false teachers People who are telling lies, they've got a lot to deal with here, and yet Peter says, yeah, but along with that, I'm commanding you. I'm commanding you to keep on growing. Keep on growing. Growing implies that you're saved, you're born again, you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And Peter already taught these Asian churches in chapter 1, verse 3, take a look, 1, verse 3 of 2 Peter, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, how many things? everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has already given you everything you need to grow as a Christian. Everything. The Lord has already implanted new life in you that will motivate you to continue to develop, like he says in 2 Peter 1, 5 and following, applying all diligence in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. That's growing. If they're growing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a child of God, you are born with everything you need to grow and to serve Christ. To grow and to serve Christ. All you need is the spiritual food and exercise that will enable you to develop. So Peter commands you, Christian, 
Christian, hey, you're being commanded here by God through the Apostle Peter to grow. Your Christian life must not be static. There should be a contentment in your life, but there should also be a divine dissatisfaction in your life to grow more, to know more of Christ, to learn more of Him. Because continuing growth is the penicillin for every spiritual infection, every single one. The Greek verb grow means to advance. It means to progress. It means to increase. You are not to remain the same. We're not to be the same person we were 10 years ago, but to mature in Christ. So which one are you? you say, what do you mean, which one am I? 1 John chapter 2, it talks about children, young men, and fathers. And there is a shade of reference there to age. But there's also a stronger reference there to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. So which one are you? Are you a child? Are you a young man or a young woman? Or are you a father or a mother of the faith? It's great to be a baby, isn't it? Everybody takes care of you. But God expects you to grow up. Move beyond babyhood and mature. You're, You're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You're to be stable, and that's what this verse is saying, the exact same truth. Pursuing Christian maturity will lead to stability and strength. And here in verse 18, the prevention and the cure of falling prey to the schemes of the false teachers and losing your stability is to grow mature. That's the answer. The Greek verb is not only command, but it actually is very strongly telling you to actively, continually pursue growth. All the time. You must have growth in Christ as a lifetime goal. It's a lifetime goal. Now, each one of you, that's what this means, that you must move from the bib to the apron. From the bib to the apron. From being fed to feeding yourself. To do that, you must actively pursue the means of grace to cultivate Growth. You say, what are those? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I listened to them for you. First is filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Dependent obedience on God's Word. You dependently live saturated in God's Word. You're confessing all known sin. You're repenting of sin. You're serving in ministry. You're seeking to share the gospel with the lost. You're filled with the Spirit. You're walking dependently on the Spirit of God according to the Word of God. You also need feeding. Feeding is spiritually nutritious food and it's actually referring to that book you have in your lap which is called the the bible the word of god reading it listening to it studying it memorizing it carrying it with you meditating on god's word that's how you grow you need good food you don't need junk food you need meaty food good food you also need fellowshipping with god through intimate prayer and pouring out your heart to Him, and drawing in greater knowledge of Him. I put down fragilities because your weaknesses are a part of your growth. Your battles with sinful bents, your temptations, what do they do? They drive you to greater dependence. They drive you to rely on His strength and not your strength. Amen to that? That's what they do. And then fatiguing trials. Those are the God-given, God-designed weights that God uses to spiritually exercise you. He exercises you. You know how you're working with a 10-pound dumbbell 
and somebody at the gym hands you 240 pounds, right? That's what a trial is. That's exactly what a trial is. All of a sudden, you're going through life going, yeah, I can handle this. And then God says, okay, try these 40 pounders, buddy. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa! You know, it's kind of straining and struggling. That causes you to grow. That's what God does. That's what a trial is. Faithful ministry is the exercise of growth. The exercise. God causes that ministry to grow you mature and family. Inner relationship. From baby to older saint, we're meant to grow in a local church family that's modeling interconnectedness, mentoring, all the interpersonal one-anothering. The church is God's nursery to grow people up, to mature them. The church is the God-ordained environment designed to mature Christians. You say, Chris, what detracts from growth? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Write these down. They're not in your outline. Write down familiar. Familiar. You've got it down. You're, you're not dependent. You've got your Christian life down, so you're not dependent anymore. Write down feelings. When you start living by emotion, oh, I can't be growing. I don't feel like it. I, I don't feel God doing something. Listen, when you're dependent on feelings, you're not going to grow. You're not grounded in truth. Write down fear. Fear. You're unwilling to pursue growth because it's too hard. It's, it's too much. It's too costly. Write down fame. The word fame. Relying on your position or or your reputation and not the Holy Spirit because you've got a rep, you know? And then fate. You know God is sovereign, but because He's sovereign, you become fatalistic. You become passive and you stop trying to grow. Those are things that are going to stop your growth. So, make no mistake. Let me make sure you understand this and you're very clear. We want to be theologically accurate here. God is the one who grows you. God is the one who works in you, and God is the one who works through you. Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? He's going to finish it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, you're going to have sanctification in your life, or you're not his child. He's going to grow you, Christian. He is. God is sovereign in your growth. You say, well, then I can sit back, right? No. Your choices, your dependence, your labors to grow are vital and a responsible part of you fulfilling Peter's command here. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said God is sovereign. Yes. And yet you're responsible. Yes. Can you solve that for me? No. It's true. You are responsible. Whatever's stopping you from growing must be put aside and the means of grace which encourage your growth must be fought for. Don't say that you want to grow and take no steps today. Don't do it. You say, what are you supposed to grow in? Thirdly, the content. The content. He says, you're to grow in grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge. In the grace and knowledge. If it was only grace or only knowledge, you would be warped. But grace and knowledge together are the content of maturity. Spurgeon said it this way, and of course he always said it eloquently, and if I could do a British accent, I would do it right now. How easy it is to grow in knowledge, but not in grace. All of us know far more of the Bible than we really live, yeah? Knowledge without grace is a terrible weapon, and grace without knowledge can be very shallow. But when we combine grace and knowledge, we have a marvelous tool for building our lives and for building the church. End quote. Grace and knowledge. 
Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God bestowed on guilty people in Christ. Grace spells out God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is giving hell-bound sinners what they could never earn or never deserve on their own. Grow in grace. Grow in grace. Think of God's sovereign grace. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He graced you. He, you didn't do anything. You weren't even born and he graced you. Sovereign grace. Think about his sustaining grace, how Christ not only saves you but sanctifies you and holds you to himself. His grace will bring you safely home, even when it's dangerous and the road is difficult. Think about his sufficient grace, his sovereign grace, his sustaining grace, his sufficient grace. No matter what you're facing, what kind of needs you have, what kind of situation you're battling, what kind of sins are you struggling with right now, his grace is flowing in your life like a river. It's always ready to help you with any need. And so after you appropriate God's grace by faith and salvation, we are to grow in grace, in sanctification. By living by grace through faith, seeing grace grow deeper in our hearts as we comprehend, comprehend the giver of grace and the vastness of His grace in our lives. So it's grace. You want to grow in grace, recognizing that you did nothing and God did everything. And living that day with that kind of heart, that kind of thanks, that kind of praise. But not only grace, but also you want to grow in knowledge. You see it there? Grace and knowledge. Knowledge, uh, Christians must grow in the realm of knowledge. Knowledge plays a vital part in your growth. This knowledge is personal, intimate knowledge. It comes from God's Word, but it is a relational knowledge of Jesus Christ Himself. Do you understand what the secret to the Christian life is? Here it is. Write it down. This is the secret to the Christian life. Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ more intimately. Knowing Him more deeply. That's the secret to the Christian life. The word for knowledge here conveys a knowledge required by learning. You're making effort. It, it implies effort and work and labor. And even experiences of life cause you to know Him more deeply. Isn't that true? You go through a certain trial and experience and you know Christ more deeply. Well, the moment of salvation... You've begun a lifelong pursuit to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, 1 Peter said uh, 2, 2 reminded us, again, to long like a newborn baby for the pure milk of the word that it may give you and cause you to grow in respect to salvation. You'll grow. And Peter's teaching you here in verse 18, as your knowledge of God's word increases leading to intimacy with Christ, you're better prepared to fend off destructive doctrines and spiritual deceptions. And always remember this growth in grace and growth in knowledge are about a person. Number four, fourthly, your center. Your center is a person. Christ is our center, and it says at the end of verse 18, or in the middle of it, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hang on, friends. Okay, I got to shock you a little bit. The original Greek here is unclear. It's unclear. It's hard to preach with absolute certainty when it's very unclear. The grammar is unclear here. This could mean this. Number one, grow in the grace of which Christ is the author and the knowledge of which Christ is the object. It could mean, this phrase, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is the source and fountain of both grace and knowledge. Or it could be growing knowledge of Jesus Christ whom you embrace as your gracious Lord and Savior. Which one is it? The grammar's unclear, but what, you know what is clear? That God wants you to grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's what is clear here. The knowledge of Christ 
and the knowledge about Christ are both safeguards against heresy, and they cause you to grow. Did you get that? The knowledge of Christ and knowledge about Christ are both safeguards against heresy as well as causing you to grow. Causing you to grow. Peter exhorts you to become more like your Lord by displaying His characteristics in your life. God's will is for you to come to Christ and to become like Christ by knowing Him. Are you growing more intimate and deeply knowledgeable of Jesus Christ? Are you? Peter uses this first title, this full title, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, four times in Second Peter. And the center target is obvious, to grow in the knowledge of our precious Savior. The Lord who rules all and rules you, and the Savior who forgave your sin and gave you salvation. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in charge of all, and He saved you. He forgave you. He gave you heaven. And that will provide the doctrinal stability you need to avoid being misled. That's exactly what Paul said in Ephesians 4.14. Remember that? Ephesians 4.14 teaches we are no longer to be what? Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him, Christ, who is the head, even Christ. Now think this way, all right? When you leave here today, adopt this posture. Live every day with the simple dependence of a child who relies on God like a child holds his father's hand on a walk and like a child depends on his parents for everything. But also, along with that dependence, you need to have a different hunger. You need to have the hunger of an engaged single who desires to learn every detail about his or her and soon-to-be spouse that they love more than life. You want to know everything about them, right? Remember that, guys? Remember that, gals? Come on, somebody nod their head just a little. You wanted to know every nuance about them, knowing that he is your groom, soon-to-be your groom, and he's returning very quickly. You want to know everything. You say, Chris... How am I supposed to get pumped up for that? How do I get motivated for that? What will motivate your desire to learn to grow? Are you ready? Write it down. It's profound. Are you ready? Here it comes. His love for you. His love for you. Not your love for Him, but dwelling on His great, unfailing, deep, and permanent love for you that He is coming back soon. And you will be one with him in that deep and personal and intimate love for all eternity. And that will lead you to point number eight and the end of our study. Number eight in your outline, living for continual praise. Living for continual praise. Worshipfully, Peter concludes his last inspired letter, his second inspired letter, 2 Peter, with a doxology. Look at verse 18, the second half. To Him be the what? Glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. He closes this great letter calling you to adore Christ. Listen, this is not a sermon. This is an opportunity for you to adore Christ. For all that He's done for you. For all that He provides for you. 
His sovereign grace, His sustaining grace, His goodness. Calvin said this, quote, This is a remarkable passage, referring to this last phrase in verse 18, to prove the deity of Christ. For what is said cannot belong to any but to God alone. He's calling Christ God. It is such a call for glory to Christ demonstrates again. Now, you forgot who's writing this. Who's writing this? This is the Apostle Peter. He lived with Christ. He was in that first group that was called by Christ, one of the first group of disciples to follow him. So he had probably a full three and a half years with Jesus Christ in his public ministry. He saw him every day, night and day. He lived with him. Now again, Jesus isn't glowing. There's no halo around him. And this is Peter who lived with him for three and a half years saying, He is God. Right here. Right here. He's deity, equal in honor with God the Father. First, the person. The person in this doxology. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Here's a doxology directed toward Christ. It is addressed to him who Peter has just exclaimed in verse 18, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is, are you ready for this? Mark this down, mark your Bible, the only New Testament doxology which is unquestionably addressed to Jesus Christ. No one debates this. This is actually one of the evidences of the deity of Christ here. Jesus is the one that Peter has exalted in this epistle, and here Peter names Christ as the fitting recipient of glory. You say, what's glory? Glory is the summation of all of God's character. Glory is the summation of all of God's attributes. His glory. It is sometimes manifested in the Shekinah, but it is the summation of all of who God is. His glory. And for a Jew, Peter, I mean, who's committed to the truth of Isaiah 42.8, look at Isaiah 42.8. I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my what? Glory I will not give to another. This doxology is a clear expression by Peter of the deity of Jesus Christ. Absolute clear. In fact, Peter fully accepted John 5.23 that says that all may honor the Son even as they honor what? The Father. Make no mistake, friends. You may be a visitor here today. Maybe you're relatively new with this. Christ is not a nice guy. Christ is, is not a, a, an awesome teacher. Christ is, is not a cool philosopher, and he is not the head of some cool religious movement. Jesus Christ is God. He is creator. He is the Lord that you will bow to even if you do not submit to him. You will bow to him. That leads us to the person now, the path. The path is to him be the glory. You see it there? Be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Peter takes his readers back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that moment? Christ is unveiled and his glory is manifested, turning Peter into a stuttering fool. Remember that? And yet now he shouts to Jesus, to him be glory. For when Christ returns, all humanity will see him. They will see his glory. It says every eye will see him. I think that every eye will gasp at him. Every mouth will open in shock at his incredible revealed glory in wonder and in awe. All wonder, all glory. Like Romans 11.36, for 
from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I know in your heart, Christian, I know right now. Just take a minute to remember what Jesus did to save you. Just take a minute to remember how he blessed your life in innumerable ways. And you will want to give him glory. You will want to automatically bring him glory. When will you bring him glory? Thirdly, person, path, and thirdly, process. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The ESV and the New King James use the word forever, both now and forever. But it literally, in the Greek text, is to the day of the age. To the day of the age. A unique saying, it appears to be linked to the coming of the day of God when time basically dissolves into eternity. And basically to you, Christ you have been who have been redeemed will gladly worship him now and forever you and i will give christ all the glory both now and in eternity now as christians we join thomas who said my lord and my what god in fact you will do so forever literally it says here into eternity's day it's a day in which an eon is without end that's what it is Peter's carrying the worship of Jesus Christ into the eternal future. And with that, person, path, process, all of us, we've got to be what? Number four is what? Pleased. Pleased. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And what's that last word? What is it? Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen Amen means so be it. Amen means we agree. Amen means... Jesus gets all glory now and forever, and we want to say, I want to be a part of that. That's what amen means. Amen means that's our heart also. And now we're faced with the sobering moment, because after he writes amen, Peter puts his pen down and stops writing. And not long after writing this letter, an unexpected knock occurred at his door. Nero's evil finally caught up with Peter. And the apostle was arrested, sentenced to death, and by Peter's choice, history tells us, history does, not the Bible, that Peter was crucified upside down. You say, why was he crucified upside down? Simply because Peter didn't think himself worthy to be crucified the same way Christ was. And in a moment, Peter was absent from the body and at home with the Lord present with him and you can almost hear his voice rising in unison with all the heavenly saints of god to him be glory now and forever and can you hear the heavenly host saying everyone together amen amen anticipation of christ's return results in sanctification and exaltation anticipation of his return results in growth and god's glory and god's glory So take this home. Letter A, a Christian grows by living in the Spirit, not by living in the flesh. By living in the Spirit, not by living in the flesh. Before Peter was indwelt with the Spirit of God permanently and then filled with the Spirit, he would bear witness of Christ one moment and then argue with Christ the other. One moment he'd refuse to have Jesus wash his feet and the next moment, give me a total bath. He'd promised to die for Christ, and then he would deny Christ three times. Peter learned the importance of 
dependency upon the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers Christians to grow in maturity and to glorify God. It is the Holy Spirit who enables you to do anything that's rewardable, anything that lasts for eternity is going to be done in the power of the Spirit. See the line written in your outline there? Would you look at that? Would you look at your outline for a second? Between flesh and the Spirit. You see it there? Put a mark where you think you normally function as a Christian. Are, are you on the flesh side or are you on the Spirit side? Are, are you somewhere in the middle? Put, a, put an X. Go ahead. Do it right now. Put an X. Most people put themselves just to the right of average. You got it down. Put a mark there. Come on. Where you normally function. Come on. Go ahead. Do it. And now that you've done it, let me apologize, okay? I just tricked you because biblically, the only place you can put an X is either on the flesh X or the spirit X. Friends, the Bible affirms that you're either one or the other. There's no scale in between. You're either in the spirit or in the flesh. You're never in between. There's, There's no scale. There's no progress. You're either under the direction of the spirit of God or you're under the direction of the flesh. That's it. That's the only two choices you've got. And when you say it was, it was only natural that I was angry. Uh, it was only natural that I listened to that gossip. It was only natural that I argued. Or it was only natural that I was criticized. Or it was only natural I had a bad attitude. You are absolutely correct. It is only natural. But to live in the Spirit, it requires you to completely depend on the Spirit of God in everything you do. Confessing your sin, repenting of all known sin, being saturated in God's Word while you rely dependently upon the Spirit and exercise your will to walk obedience to the Word of God. In other words, to be, Ephesians 5.18, filled with the Spirit requires dependent obedience, living every moment, relying on the Spirit by living according to God's Word. And here's the kicker. You say, why are you telling us this? Why do I need to know this? I'm so glad you asked. You only grow when you're filled with the Spirit. You only glorify God when you're filled with the Spirit. We need to be people who walk dependently on the Spirit of God according to the Word of God. We cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. Only God can glorify God. That means God must glorify Himself through you. And that's the Spirit of God. That's His role. We walk confessing all known sin. We walk dependently upon Him. And yes, you can fall naturally into the life of the flesh, but you cannot fall naturally into a life in the Spirit. Letter B, a Christian's age does not guarantee growth or maturity. And if you're older, I'm sorry. But Spurgeon warns you older saints with these words, quote, do not imagine that because you're getting older, you are growing in grace, end quote. Why did he say that? Well, he quotes 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he what? Fall. Once we get a little older, we rely on our experience, our age, our position, our relationships instead of God's spirit. And then in our pride, We stop depending on the Spirit of God by His Word. You who've been believers for decades, beware. You need the Spirit to grow and to glorify God just like a baby believer. 1 Peter 5, 5. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you're proud if you try to live the Christian life in your strength. You're proud. Letter C. A Christian's growth requires work. Spurgeon also reminded believers, quote, nobody automatically drifts into spiritual growth and stability. Let me say it again. He says, nobody automatically drifts into spiritual growth and stability, but anybody can drift out of dedication and out of growth. 
out of commitment and out of growth. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 warns, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, what we've learned, what we've listened to, to the word of God so that we do not drift away from it. Friends, make no mistake. You need regular feeding on the food of God's word. You need fellowship of prayer and intimacy with Christ in conversation. You need the spiritual exercise of faithful ministry for you to grow. You need the close relationship of a local church family in order to grow mature in Christ and bring Him glory. God is sovereign over your growth, but you are responsible. What steps will you take? What steps will you take? And letter D, the Christian, a Christian, is one who has exchanged their life for Christ's life. Their life for Christ. Would you listen to these verses? Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, die, and follow me. And then Jesus puts it in such a sweet way in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Let's pray together, shall we? Right now, I'm going to ask you, just keep your head down and your eyes closed. Would you come to faith in Jesus Christ today? Don't come like a Pharisee, telling God what you've done, how much you've gone to church, how many good works you've done. No, come to Christ as a poor, lost, undone, damned sinner. Come to him broken, and he will accept you. Don't be proud. Be poor in spirit. Don't present yourself as something. Present yourself as nothing. There is no salvation except it come from Christ. Exchange all that you are for all that he is and what he's done. Die to self and live to Christ. Depend on him by faith. Turn from your sin and repentance and find new life now and eternal life in heaven forever. It is Christ who accomplished our salvation on the cross. He bore all of God's wrath for our sin upon himself, rose from the dead, and now lives to give you new life. Your sin falls on him. His righteousness covers you. Not turning to Christ means you are damned and tormented forever. But turning to Christ means you are rescued and blessed forever. Please don't wait. Don't wait another moment. Turn to Christ right now. Cry out to him for salvation from your sins. And believers, take some spirit-empowered steps to fire up your growth in Christ. You should be maturing. You should be growing. You should be pursuing him. Trust in a sovereign God who will accomplish it all but be responsible to pursue Christ with all your heart. Heavenly Father, we pray you would take your word and change our lives. Make us more like your son. Give us greater intimacy with him. Cause us to love him at greater depths than we've ever had before. And Father, we'll give you all the glory now, and we'll give you all the glory forever. You deserve it all for what you've done for us. We love you, and we thank you. And in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.